Welcome to Bald Moose Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. Tonight we're covering episode four, titled Eating the Blame. Uh, we start off with an erstwhile on Fargo. Have we ever seen that before? Erstwhile? Yeah. Oh, you mean last time on? Yeah, previously instead of on? previously on, they say erstwhile on Fargo. Yeah. I think that's supposed to be folksy. Sure. To be I just don't remember them doing it in eh, previous no, episodes. I, I can't think of it either. Okay. Uh, and we start off with kind of the connection that we talked about last episode with can the we king start finding off with money. Some previous show business. Sure. Sure. We definitely can. We usually play the name game, and I feel bad because I let it down. I assume the muddy road was just a reference to the dialogue that Molly had. Uh huh. But a listener on feed, fe- feedback. On a face back, face, Jesus <laughs> face back. Christ, foot beast, what? Uh, a listener on f- Facebook, <laughs> too, uh, we've we've screwed up the whiskey balance this week is all I can say. <laughs> uh, Michael C. said, hey, there's actually a Muddy Road uh, parable. It's a Zen cone, which is a short story in like uh, the hmm. Zen philosophy that's supposed to illustrate a particular principle. A cone? Okay. I believe that's how you pronounce it. It's K-O-A-N. Um, hmm. but I'm going to, we're going to discuss it right now to make up for last week. Uh, muddy road. It says Tanzan and Akito were once traveling together down a muddy road. A heavy rain was still falling coming around a bend. They met a lovely girl in a silk kimono and sash unable to cross intersection. Come on girl said Tanzan at once lifting her in his arms. He carried her over the mud. Akito did not speak again until that night when they reached a lodging temple. Then he could no longer restrain himself. We monks don't go near females, he told Tanzan, especially not young and lovely ones. It's dangerous. Why did you do that? I left the girl there, said Tanzan. Are you still carrying her? End cone. Okay. What do you think that means? Because I don't know. I fucking don't know, man. (laughs) I'm assuming it has something to do with Molly and Gus's... uh, kind of burgeoning relationship although this week there's not a whole lot there or though maybe there is maybe when we get to talking about it sure uh the fact that uh, this guy is getting involved with someone that he works with someone a fellow detective or not detective fellow police officer Mm -hmm. um it, it could also refer to lester and the uh semi kings hess's uh wife the cougar. Okay. The cougar that somehow gave birth to two wolves. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know, man. I, that parable is escaping me as regards uh, the episode. Yeah. I, or it's like you, maybe it's a sequence of someone that's helping someone that sh- they shouldn't be helping. Hmm. In that case, is Gus, is it foreshadowing that there is something to, uh, is there something to come of the fact that Gus is helping Molly when he could have just sat on this Lorne thing. There could be. I mean, he certainly seems to be getting in deeper this episode with Lorne. To, to no good end. No, 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 no. Lorne obviously has the upper hand I, on everything in this episode. So, and before I move on, can we just talk about our general thoughts about this episode? Okay. I am still still into the show. I don't want any hate Oh, man. no. He has to preface his comments. <laughs> but I'm getting the the level of just how much this story seems to rely on poor judgment and stupidity thick-headedness is starting to hmm. raise some alarm bells in my head okay. that like it's starting to feel like Lorne should have been nabbed this episode and the series over this is not 
Rust Cole we're talking about here. This is Bemidji Police and Duluth Police for. And I get they've, that they've never seen a murder they've, investigation. They've made, yeah, but that's the thing. Like, do you think that small town cops are? More or less apt to blow up a murder investigation and and obsess over it and and go over every detail. Uh, I think they're. I think the fact that they're less experienced with it obviously would mean they're worse at it. Uh, maybe you're right. Maybe they would be more apt to investigate it, try to investigate it thoroughly, based on the fact that this doesn't happen every day. I feel like I'm on an island here because nobody that I've talked to has had a problem with this but me. I don't have a problem with it. Okay. I really enjoyed this episode, and I thought... I I enjoyed it, too. I'm just saying that there's starting to be this track record of sloppy police work on the... And the only thing, to the point where if it keeps going, the only thing Mm -hmm. that's going to save it for me is if Bill, Chief Bill, is in on it somehow. At which point that's... And the other thing that... Lorne is starting to be like Joker esque in his levels of preparedness, uh-huh. uh, and that's starting to stretch my credibility as well. Um, okay, maybe we should talk about the Frank Peterson persona a little bit because okay. that kind of leads us right into it. Frank Peterson is Frank Peterson, an alter ego, uh, one that's carefully constructed by Lorne, or is he a real person that Lorne has perhaps killed and has assumed the identity of? For this specific, uh, you know, job, I guess. I think it's fairly obvious from what we know that this Peterson persona is the thing that was shipped to him in Duluth. Okay. And it's a complete backstory that he has mastered and he spent several days mastering. And there's probably some, you know, phone trickery going on to where he can say that you can call this such and such town and... You know, talk to anybody, and we know the service is sophisticated about how they deal with that. Um, in fact, when he gets arrested, he makes one final phone call to his home office and says, I need a new package drop, blah, and I couldn't make out what all he said. But I yeah. speculate that he's he's quick ordering a new persona, because as soon as this Peterson is, was yeah. done, he's going to burn it and then become somebody else. Sure. That makes total sense. Still, that CCTV picture looks a lot like him. Oh, and yeah. he's got a police officer saying that is the guy, uh-huh. and he's wanted and questioned for other stuff. It, it just seems like this you – know, he basically talked himself out of that. Yeah, so I, I will – I don't care how bad of an interrogation job those guys did. It just – I don't know, man. I will agree with you. They, they only dropped it because he seems like such a nice guy, and he's well-known in – that particular area, not not in Bemidji, but up north. But they didn't wait for any print work. Or... That's the thing. They did not. They did not say, "Okay, this guy is a minister, but why can't a minister commit a horrible crime?" Yes, that's that shit the happens all the time. Yeah, I think the, we're supposed to infer that in that area of the country, they have such faith in ministers and such small town ideas that they think a minister couldn't possibly do something like that. Uh, and, and yes, I agree with you. That is not the assumption I would make. Certainly, uh, I I don't think it's the assumption that many people would make. But that may be a bit of a stretch in this episode. I, that, and again, that, that's the thing: the fact that Lauren is so crazy prepared. And and the other thing is, okay, so since but we're talking about this, but he's not just crazy this, prepared. It's his organization. That's I mean, there's a whole business right, behind this. But he snatched a cop's glasses yes. right off the cop's dress. And, the, and, and and so if I took your glasses, I wasn't wearing glasses, I took your glasses and I'm wearing uh-huh. them, you would notice right away, right? 
Especially if you're booking me for f- fingerprints. That's the other, okay. You're right. They're pushing the boundaries on how naive these people are. I agree with that. The I mean, so the problem is, like, let's say I take your glasses and I'm sitting across the table from you. Mm-hmm. Would you even be able to see that those are the same glasses? Why would I take them off to deal with you? I, I guess they're. It kind of got implied to me like they were reading glasses or something. Oh, but they were gigantic yeah. reading glasses. True. And I don't know if they're that such a strong prescription. How the hell is Billy Bob walking around with them on? Yeah, he's probably blind as a bat with those on. I'd imagine. Yeah, but I mean, if you're wearing like a really strong prescription and you're not used to it, it's like it's it's trying to navigate underwater. I'd expect him to yeah, be literally he... bumping around on things. I don't know. I'm just saying. Sure. I, I don't want to get too bogged down because it makes it sound like I hated the episode and I didn't. Sure. Uh, and the fact that this Starvos, Stavos guy, Stravos. Well, Starvos? the other thing before we move off Billy Bob there. The other thing is Lauren didn't have to do that, right? That was the that was no, the, the persona just sell. made him more frumpy and more sympathetic, I guess. It's just like the Clark Kent thing. I don't think you can do <laughs> you can comb your hair down and yeah, put yeah. on glasses and completely and still be, have your beer. <laughs> yeah, and completely be somebody else. Uh-huh. Um and it's going to be you know, I don't mind the universe being populated with fairly thick-headed people uh-huh. for comic relief, yeah. but when major plot div- uh, advancements are hinging on it i haven't got that point yet i'm just i'm i'm just giving the show a wag on my finger yeah and a, you're on notice that's... yeah i understand i i get it and i feel a little bit of that too so what else did you want to talk about the king uh yeah i mean i guess i can gloat for being right although it feels really to me i it was super obvious because I I saw Fargo like two weeks ago as part of my show prep. Yeah, yeah. And I have a fairly good memory for details like that too. So when I saw that scraper and he's talking about money around a million dollars and how he got to start. Yeah. And this is called Fargo. <laughs> uh, I'm like, oh, there that must be a connection to the movie. That This is literally in the same universe. Sure. The thing that I didn't realize is that they were going to play out that connection, hardcore. Yes. I thought one and done with that picture. They yes. were just going to hint at it, and that'd be it. But no, they went full Monty on it. As a matter of fact, we have uh, some commentary from Eric Walquist, our uh, expert in... Fargophile? Yeah, yeah, our Fargo expert, our Fargophile, uh, that we want to play right now. All right. Hey, guys. Eric here, personal arrogance host and resident bald move, Cohen Brothers movie geek, Oh my god, episode 4 of Fargo. Can you believe it? Just like Lester Nygaard, Aaron went ahead and hit it right on the head. Turns out that ice scraper sitting in the middle of the Minnesota winter belongs to none other than our ill-fated hero of Fargo, Carl, played by Steve Buscemi. That's right, guys, he buried that thing back in the movie, and Stavros found it and settled an entire grocery store empire on its back. Who could have thought it? Well, Aaron did. Um, so this this brings uh, to light a lot of very interesting things, and and I guess I I could see it coming when Aaron gave us that soothsayer esque, uh, beautiful prediction last week, but I didn't understand the full weight of tying this television series directly to the movie Fargo until I got to see it play out directly in front of my eyes. And God damn it. I'm so excited to see now, as I talked about last week, 
where Lauren Malvo's personal journey will take him. There's two ways to go with this. Of course, Lauren could have just gone on this journey, met up with uh, with uh, Lester Nygaard, and uh, happened to kill Hess. And maybe it's all just a big old coincidence. Maybe he's just a hired hitman from some place in the middle of the desert, and 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 doesn't have any type of connection to the movie Fargo. Maybe the only connection to the movie Fargo is this bag of nine hundred and twenty thousand dollars that was found in the middle of the Minnesota frozen desert but maybe not right i mean uh maybe lauren malvo's journey is directly tied to this whole encapsulating beautiful world that the coen brothers made back in 1996 called fargo maybe it's not a coincidence at all. The question then becomes, who is Lauren Malvo working for? Who is he connected to from the Fargo universe? Well, the only thing we have to look at are the surviving members of the Fargo uh, universe. And there weren't many, so it's pretty easy to nail them down. Now, of course, there's Margie, uh, but I doubt she probably had anything to do with it. Um, there's also Carl's, uh, accomplice, Geir Grimsrud, uh, who uh, was played by Peter Stormare. Um, he survives. He got shot in the butt and taken in by Margie. Maybe he has some kind of connection to it. He was also directly hired from Fargo, which is where Wrench and Numbers are from. So maybe there's a connection there. Um, the other very, very interesting surviving person from the Fargo universe. And uh, of course, I'm sorry to anybody who hasn't seen a movie that came out almost 20 years ago. Um, is, of course, everybody's favorite, Aaron's favorite, because he beat the shit out of Carl, <laughs> uh, Shep Proudfoot, the, uh, the, the middleman, if it were, between uh, Jerry Lundegaard and uh, both Carl and Gehrer. So... This is where my money lies. Guys, oh my god, I want to see some Shep Proudfoot in this Fargo television series. I don't know if you guys are on board with that, but come on, that would be such a great character. He he has he's so one-dimensional and he's got such a small part even though he's not a small actor uh in Fargo the movie. I would love to see him 20 years uh later uh, popping up in the, sh in the Fargo television series. And it kind of makes sense. I mean, he has this kind of underworld connection. Um, he does beat the shit out of Carl, uh, right before Carl decides to, to bury the money and then go out. And then, and of course, find that finds out that, that Gayer killed, um, uh, Gene Lundegaard. Um, so there is the, possibility that he would have some kind of inkling as to where the money comes from. But this is where, this is where the whole crux uh, lies. Like Lauren knows that Stavros is a religious man. Lauren knows that Stavros thinks that God worked for him in that moment of desperation, giving him that $920,000. Um, he knows that. And we know that he knows that because when he released the locust, the second biblical plague on Stavros, he calls him and says that God is basically the hand that is working against him. Somebody knows that uh, Stavros 
has this money, found it, and believes in God. These are three things that are very, very uh, secretive. These are these are the core of what Stavros has become as the supermarket king of Minnesota. So I'm very, very excited. I want it to tie together even more. My mind is exploding after watching this episode. Guys, I have one question for you. Uh, I have two. The first one is... Do you think that we will find more connections between um, Fargo the movie and Fargo the television universe as the story unfolds? And the second question is, if you answered yes to question one, how do you think Lorne Malvo is connected to the Fargo movie universe? Love you guys. Uh, Can't wait to hear what you say. Thanks. So what I get from all that is it's totally Margie. The old sheriff, you know, she thought about all those people died over a little bit of money, decided that's quite a bit of money, and she comes back. Uh, she's going to avenge herself. She's going to get that money. She's going to make right. up for the fact that her uh, husband only got the five-cent stamp. Uh, yep, it's, yep. it's Margie against everybody else. Okay, I could totally buy that. You also might think that maybe somewhere along the line – uh Stavros' wife found out about the money because she definitely knows that he was saying God is real, God is real, God is real in the car. Yeah. Uh, he found this suitcase that he brought back into the car with him. What the hell is in that? Where did you get that when he comes back? Um, I assume those questions are asked. I assume she knows about the money and she is in on the blackmail no, because of the I... way she scoffs at the amount of money that Lorne says that he has when he pretends to be the lawyer mm-hmm. coming in, uh, estimates his estate is worth, and she's like... Psh- that's not nearly enough because she knows about the million dollars. That's what I think. That's interesting. Maybe his son. Maybe his son knows about it. That's the only other person that could have possibly heard him talk about God is real in that scene. Dude, okay, look. This man has a giant fucking stained glass window to a patron saint in his office. <laughs> that was not – the fact that – I mean he wears his religion on his sleeve. In fact, he all but – we talked about the odd halting way he had of talking about God and karma and all this last week. It's like, I feel like yeah, he's probably blabbed his mouth, not about the money, but, and, but okay. he, he implied in last episode that his wife wouldn't know. There's no way she could know about this money. Maybe not. Maybe not. But he might not even know that she knows. The, the thing is, look at what they've shown us, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we can speculate all day about what he might have said to people we've never met. Whatever. Look at what they've shown us. They've shown us Lorne seeing his office and the big stained glass windows. They've shown him pulling the briefcase of money into his car, telling his wife over and over that God is real. I think you have to go by what they've shown, not what we might guess he did over the the years. Hmm. And that, to me, says his wife is knows about it. I mean, they've, they've shown her scoffing at the amount of money that... Well, that's just because the guy owns... He's have. the supermarket king of the Midwest. Uh-huh. Sure. Like, you can't own 20, 30 grocery stores and plead poverty. In Ask a Blockbuster about that. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you can definitely. But yeah, yeah, I, I get on, you. Yeah, I mean, you can own a lot and, and have a reversal of fortune. It doesn't seem like that's what's going on here. Man, I don't know. Um, as far as are there going to be other connections to the movie Fargo, I think there will be. I actually like yeah. Eric Shep Proudfoot theory. Uh, sure. Absolutely would Having like to him see. come back, yeah. I, I mean, he's the kind of, and even even Peter Stormare as the gayer, I guess, uh, character, 
those are the guy and the guys that they would have the budget to get. Like I don't okay, think, yeah. unless Steve Buscemi's is doing it as a favor, I don't think they got the horsepower to pull him in. And he's, yeah, wait, they're he's already using anyway. most. They, they, they threw him through the wood yeah, chipper. Yeah. Never mind. They're using most of their star power on Billy Bob Thornton and Colin Hanks. Could it like, be Jerry? He's in prison twenty years. Like, because because the other three thing is why is this happening now? Sure. What kind of prison sentence would a guy like Gayer or Jerry Lundegaard get for accessories to multiple homicides and kidnappings and stuff? It feels like a you know, fifteen twenty year type of thing. Yeah, They're after out. plea bargains, and, they've been planning yeah. this thing the whole time. They've been making connections to build you know, and and now they're putting <laughs> a plan in action. I actually feel like it's going to be one of those two. Sure, I mean it's it's all very speculative. Obviously, they haven't really shown us much, but it seems like they're heading that direction. Like, really making connections here, showing us those connections, not just implying them. Uh, I think that's where we're headed, and I could certainly see other characters from Fargo coming back. Right. Whoever they may be. Right. Um, The other thing that I want to talk about while we're still on Lorne is how he dealt with Gus this episode. I mean, it becomes apparent, I think, over the course of the episode that he has been if not investigating Gus thoroughly, at least he knows a little bit about him, the most very basic things, because that killing that dog was not just a coincidence. Well, that, I he was did that on purpose that. to bring Gus to him because he's standing there waiting for Gus when Gus pulls up. Yeah, but why? Uh, it could just be to fuck with him. Certainly we've That's seen him just fuck with people. Yeah, uh, He may have some larger plan in store but for right now i think it might just be to fuck with him Hmm. that's an awfully big risk to fuck with somebody it is it is although if you have a pre-planned persona in the works and you know there's i don't know that he knew about that photo although you would think he would have to right he has to assume dragging someone out of an office would result in a photo yeah yeah i don't know I don't know what his ultimate plan is, but it, it became apparent to me, at least, during the episode that that dog kill was not an accident. Well, I mean, but uh, does everything have to have multiple purposes? He wanted to send a message to the king. He, sure. You know, uh, I, I, I don't know, man. It's just the me, way that he meets that, that seems like That seems like him just being supernaturally aware of things. How does he have time to find out that this guy's the dog catcher? I don't know. How would he know the dog catcher was going to be out sick? I guess the guy's got leuke- leukemia, so sure. I mean, He's out sick. A lot. And how would he know that they would be so comically inept as they were? Like, yeah. What if he forgot yeah. to wipe down a print and there was a print? Now they got his fingerprints. I mean, he's they got his real fucking fingerprints. Sure. That seems like that would be. I mean, of course they're tied to a different alias, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I I was debating whether he intended that to happen, and the fact that he said. You're making a mistake. That's what you'll be saying in three hours. That's, I mean, again, that's that's Joker from the Dark Knight territory. <laughs> it's but it's I, a little much yeah. for me. Okay, I'm I'm not going to go over that ground again. But I, so you don't think that he was purposely messing with guys? I don't there. know if he is. He just seems insanely incautious Arrogant. to the point yeah. where I wonder. If the, another point with Eric, if this is his last big thing that it's he's possible. putting it all sure. in and he's just going to get out of the game with this million blackmail dollars. and take the money and run. But there's no way he could have gone in and drug that guy out of the office and put him in his trunk and hit that deer 
knowing that his next assignment was going to be to super. I, I do not think yeah, that those true. two are connected. And that's where I'm trying to say, okay, you know how, so, so how would so, him and his wife? Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, if they, if this connection was before he got this assignment, then I've got some questions. If this connection is made after, then they've done something and not shown us. And I'm not a big fan. Okay. Me, when me shows either. do that. It's kind of like in breaking bad. When Breaking Bad played a little fast and loose with a certain plot involving mm-hmm. some berries, yep. you know, people were kind of like, you know, show's great, but people were kind of, hey, you know, I don't like the fact that we kind of got tricked here. Um, I'm trying to see where some of these connections would be made without pulling a fast one on us as the audience. Sure, sure. And I think, like I've explained, I would have a problem with that as well. I can't remember if I explained it on this podcast or one of the many others we do, but mm-hmm. uh, it was one of them. I mean, we're, it was like because a lot of people like the usual suspects. I hate the usual suspects because okay. it all <laughs> yeah, hinges yeah. on that final reveal that everything they've told us before from our perspective is bullshit. And I don't find anything clever yeah. or interesting about that. So here's the thing with Lorne um, and his like kind of history bleeding into his present here. Uh, that photo... I'm not sure that he's aware of that photo. Um, Molly did all this digging and found out about his previous escapades, mm-hmm. got the photo. Um, she is really the only one keeping this case alive, and they try to take her off of it, which actually reverses itself and leads to more clues for her. And plus, plus, this Lorne Malvo is not this guy's real name either, right? It's certainly not. There's no way he signed it in. It, you would be insane as a hitman to sign your real name on a book that you don't have to. Yes. Uh, that would be crazy. So, no, I don't think Lauren Malvo is his real name. It's probably an anagram for something that we haven't figured out yet. <laughs> Lord uh, Voldemort. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, Molly gets taken off the case, but then really she's that makes that frees her up to find out about Lauren Malvo. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in the, Bemidji, I mean, because that's what the chief, what Chief Bill doesn't realize, either because he's obtuse or because he's working for the the uh, Dakota Mafia, uh-huh. is that all these cases are connected. Yes, is that some bullshit drifter? It's one man that's caused all this stuff. Yeah, and Molly seems to be aware of that. Some, yeah. Well, I don't know if she's aware of it yet, but she's definitely. I don't think, you know, when she got assigned a car case, I think she's disappointed because she saw that as initially as completely unrelated. And she suggests this time that they, I think it's the same guy, but she's just doing that to get Bill to listen to her. Yes. And I don't know that she really believes that herself. Yep. Uh, Do we want to talk about the King some more? I do want to talk about the King. Okay. Uh, When I first, when they first showed me this and they recast the young king as someone different from oliver platt that threw me for a loop because i spent the whole scene thinking shit is this yes. a don draper he's he's actually the secret is he's assumed someone's identity <laughs> okay yeah uh, they just did it because many years have passed but still 20 years like i feel like you could have done some makeup work with that i mean shit i think if maybe his hair in the present were grayer you could do something like that and get away with it I think yeah. that he doesn't look that old in the present, so I it just I did hard. not like the fact that they recast all the characters. It, okay, it, it was I would have rather them gone and you know stretched my credibility about him being that young than the way they did it because it just okay. it was really distracting to me. Sure, um, you know, not a fatal blow because once it once I realized okay, well they intended this to be the same person. Yeah, then definitely. it was fine. But um, yeah, that's kind of. Uh, 
all I wanted to talk about. Uh, what's going on with his son? Because he came in right before the biblical plague of locusts. Yes. <laughs> and said, hey, I want to talk. You're not being nice to mom. The king is stressed out. He's grinding his teeth. Yeah, he's uh, he's on and Adderall. He's like, look, this is a killer be killed world son, and that's when the crickets come out from everywhere. Yeah. His son has got some larger role to play that I'm not sure about. People on Facebook seem mm. to think that he's warm food. I feel like, huh. if anything, he's going to end up killing someone. <laughs> okay, what makes you say that? It's un esque to have an idiot be killed. Hmm. It's very Cohen-esque to have the idiot be the someone's undoing. Maybe, possibly even Lorne. Yeah, Lorne, the king himself, maybe. Um, I mean, that's a very that's a that's kind of a trope going back. You know, we saw it in The Wire. We've seen it in lots of places where the big unstoppable badass is taken down by something innocuous. In fact, it happened in No Country for Old Men. Antoine uh, Sugar got taken out by a fucking car wreck. Yeah. Completely derailed and at the mercy of little boys. He's trying to bargain for their shirt. So, like, that would feel very Cohen-esque to have him, this idiot, be his undoing. This very smart, calculating, intelligent, almost supernaturally intelligent and calculating man. Yeah, I like that. Um, Especially if if Lauren himself is going to be cruel to this kid, I think. And I say kid, he's obviously, like, 30. He might be older than me. Um, if if he's going to be mean to him, I think you know having Lauren's own cruelty as well, mm. being his undoing, would be nice. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Molly. Okay, and particularly, what's up with the Asian fish virus on her computer? Oh, good question. I don't know. I feel like someone is doing some hacking. But I'm not sure where that's I was going. wondering if this is just an illustration of how be- how much of a bunch of fuck-ups her sheriff department is. <laughs> because could be. you've got that big-ass fish that Bill conspicuously mounted in the new sheriff's office. Uh-huh. A fish that's very, you know, a similar fish to the one in, in the uh, Asian girl fish fetish site. I wonder We've if they're seen implying, fish before. Um, implying that there's people using their computers for not serious purposes at the sheriff's department. Well, I mean, so look at the the sign, uh, the poster that's on the wall in the basement of uh, the Nygaard house. There are fish all over that. It says, what if they're wrong and you're right? Or what if you're right and they're wrong? I feel like we forgot to talk about this last week, but you made a nice parallel when we were actually watching a show about the dude that Lauren comes in and drags up by his tie, his yes. fish saver ba- screensaver background being very similar to that poster. Yeah, it had roughly the same looking fish on it. Um, right. But but that could be. I, I mean, we, and we know Molly is quote unquote swimming upstream here. She's working against the current, Ooh. which is clearly going the other way. Bill, it's a pretty deep fish metaphor <laughs> here. I'm I'm trying not to get too tacky, but uh, <laughs> it it seems to me like you're right. That could just be saying these guys around you are all inept they're all wrong they're not seeing what you're seeing Ah, you're right molly right you're right go for that interesting interesting um is is could fish be the new orange (laughs) she's not long for this world no they're just like fish are connected with death you know everyone that we've seen that has a some sort of connection to fish has either brutally murdered so and i i actually think that fish poster is uh, Lester's wife's 
Yeah. Deal. It looks like all of that inspirational shit is her stuff. Yes, clearly. So, and the guy with the screensaver was shortly killed. Uh, is Bill going to be killed as well? Hmm. Was that Bill's computer? Whose computer was that? Was well, it Bill's Molly's? got the fish mounted in his office. Yes, he, he could be and in trouble. And I speculate that he's the source of the fish porn. <laughs> Bill. Bill loves fish porn. He does, well, I mean, he, he's the type of guy that doesn't pay much attention to shit he's opening. True. Um, the whole point of that was to introduce the phone dump that led to Leroy's motor in, uh, which, which allowed her to interview the motel idiots and get the name of yeah. Warren Malvo. Uh, Piss in the Tank Boy says he found some tokens from the Lucky Penny Casino. Yeah. That, I'm assuming, is an Indian casino? Okay. I'm assuming it's a casino, because he didn't say that. He said it's just from the Lucky Penny. Yeah. I'm assuming that's a casino, and I'm assuming that in Minnesota, it's an Indian casino. Okay. Could, Could be. that be a Shep Proudfoot connection? Oh, there we go. 20 years on, Shep Proudfoot has his own casino. Yeah. He's moved uh, on up from the maintenance department. I just hope they don't find any weed in his pocket. <laughs> He's going back in the slammer. Uh, could be, could be. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering how that's all connected. Eric might get his wish on that. Do you? So uh, let's move on to Lauren as a character. Uh, another one that I had a little problem with. So Lauren can magically influence the plumber. That the king calls to investigate his blood problem. The plumber was spray tan. Sp- yeah, and they're in on this blackmail together. I know, knows- I get it, but the king—who would he call for a plumber? He'd probably just call some oh. dumbass in the phone book. Yeah, maybe, or maybe it was like, leave I mean, it to it, me, I'll figure this, this out. Because now Lauren is live-in I detective get, but guy. But to, to me, I didn't see Lauren and him interface much this episode. To me, that's something, True. but yeah. Shemanko was all in there. I feel like Shemanko is the guy that probably made that call, or the king. And mm. I, it's starting to feel like there's some Italian job level of computer hacking. And I'm waiting for <laughs> uh, Seth yeah. Green to show up. And it's yeah. that I, again. That's it's you know you got these guys rerouting phone calls and doing all that stuff, and really oceans mm-hmm. and leveling it up. Yeah, they don't strike me as those types. You're right. I feel like there's a lot of stuff that we just assume is happening according to plan, and I would like to see more of this mechanics. I mean, okay, these episodes are an hour and a half or hour fifteen minutes long. Uh, let's 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 show. I want to see you show your work, boys. You know, okay. when you're doing this long division. Yeah, I, I would like that too. I, I'm on board with you kind of thinking this is maybe pushing it a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, as a director of that uh, whole fiasco with him getting arrested, um, he's we see that he's sending spray tan on an errand to pet shops. Yeah. I inst- I thought he actually was trying to find uh, frogs. Okay, that would have been good too. But the crickets, you know, made sense as well. Yeah, the plague of locusts. That was a shit ton um, of crickets. <laughs> it was definitely more than the hundred that he got from the first place. It seems like maybe more than you could fit in a hatchback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or minivan mm. or whatever the hell he was driving. And uh, I guess he put them in the ventilation system because he's up on the roof. And the, let me just yeah, talk about this shot really, really quickly yeah. because I think there's another Fargo tie-in just aesthetically. He's standing up on this roof. It's a very cool shot with the supermarket below him and a plane just kind of flying straight across overhead. There's also the parking lot light, which is kind of framing the shot on mm-hmm, one side. Mm-hmm. And that that's kind of a motif that Fargo the movie uses a lot with these like just blank white 
canvases, canvases. of snow with these with the, parking lot lights coming up out of it with yeah. this single car, and we've got it in our logo. It's such mm-hmm. a prominent thing, like yeah. a prominent shot in that movie that I just noticed it when they did it here. Uh, Gus is a goddamn litter bug. Scene, when does he litter? I, didn't, when, I missed when it. When he drops his drink in the front, he just gets in his uh, car and rolls off. Oh, and right. I'm thinking maybe it's a continuity error, but they actually showed the cup on the ground as he's pulling off. Oh. So that was huh. an intentional choice from the production staff to have him drop the cup and leave the cup there. Hmm. Uh, I feel like they should have t- Chuck uh, cut over to Lucky Penny... Uh, and see a uh, maybe Chet Proudfoot's got a single tear running down his cheek. <laughs> what is yep. so? Are we supposed to again? Since this is a deliberate choice, since it survived several different tracking shots, yeah. Are what are we just supposed? To, is that supposed to emphasize his sloppiness and the fact he's kind of wow. a mess of a human being, a scatterbrained guy? I don't know what that's supposed to mean, honestly, because I I didn't catch it in the episode. Uh, my pet, one of my you're, pet peeves. you're putting me on the spot, and I really just don't know. Litter bugs, one of my pet peeves. <laughs> sure. Uh, let's talk about Lester a little bit. I don't think we talked about okay. him at all yet. Yeah, Rich, his hand. Ooh, I've got a killer theory on this. Okay, awesome. Bring so it. Lester and his brother, they go to a house. Uh, his brother about vomits at seeing a blood splash. Yep. Uh, his hand's really bad off, man. Mm-hmm. I, I I've seen a theory on Reddit, and it was first alerted to me by my girlfriend. That this wound is psychosomatic. It's getting worse because it's all no. His it's brain just all is getting in worse. his head. It's a literal telltale heart situation. He's invent any time that they say that the theory goes. Anytime we see him feeling guilty or being reminded of things he does, the hand acts up, but nobody oh, okay. notices it. The so so you're saying he's not actually injured, he's just seeing his hand is injured. Yeah, and he does later on, he does a lot of things that, you know, like he, he stuns a dude and grapples with him and gets away and the hand doesn't seem to bother him. It's very situational. Yes. The hospital staff didn't notice, none of the police noticed, uh, Molly when, didn't notice. It's when, almost impossible that he got shot in that hand given the framing of uh, the shot that killed right. the officer. right. Yeah. I mean, what are the what are the what are the odds that that would actually hit him there? It would actually probably hit him in the other hand, unless it hit him in the. Oh, head. I wasn't even thinking about. How yeah, and people the have complained about the the framing of that shot for a long time, so maybe there's something to that. Yeah, hmm. so it could be that this is just entirely. I mean, would you think that that's awesome, or would you think that's stupid? If it, it turns out it, that this is entirely his guilty conscious acting on him, it really depends on how they reveal that information. If they just like kind of blank slated it at the very end, I probably wouldn't like it. If they gave us something that hinted at it and then kind of revealed it later on, then maybe I would like that better. What if he turns out like in the last episode, next last episode, he's dead? The coroner's going over his body, and they unwrap this this <laughs> elaborate bandage system. And there's, nothing there's nothing there. Would that be cool? That might be cool. Yeah, I could see some. I mean, I like it. And we got to find out the truth sooner or later because he's going to lose that damn hand. What they need it's to getting do, really bad. It's super bad. They need to explain the metaphor. If that's what they're going for, they need to have an have the episode where it's revealed use metaphor to explain metaphor or something. I don't you have to do that because again, Telltale Heart, Macbeth, Lady Macbeth, uh, always seeing blood on her hands that she can't wash off. I yeah, feel like yeah, in, yeah. there's a lot of 
I don't know what the right word, cultural mythology around this phenomenon that they don't have to necessarily spell it out as long as they somehow okay. draw our attention to it. And, you know, but I, I feel like we'll know right away. It's either going to be a stylistic choice. It's yeah. not going to be like a open question after the series. It's going to I, be. I don't think so. The yeah. wound absolutely did not exist or it's going to be an issue very, very soon. And I mean. The wound itself is also in the language of filmmaking, just very obviously is conscience. So, I mean, if if they were to reveal it um, as being just that, uh, depends on the way they do it. But yeah, I could buy it. Sure. Uh, it seems like Numbers and Wrench have the theory that Lester and the Widow, perhaps, were working together to kill Hess. Okay. Does that seem like what I'm supposed to infer? I think so, because they said that he killed his wife and he's sleeping with... Uh, yeah. They think the that. king's wife, right? Obviously, they're wrong. We know exactly. that they're wrong. Right. Um, what does that say about spray tan? Because they're obvious. I, are they looking for the guy who's what sleeping the fuck with his are wife? You talking about spray tan? We're talking about spray the, tan is conceivably sleeping with the, the wife. king. We're talking about the Hess. Okay, what's spray specifically tan about is, Hess? Is, is, Hess's ex-wife has nothing to do with spray tan. Sure. No, I know. Okay. So, what are you? What connection are you drawing with spray tan? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I don't know that. It's confusing because you've got a widow and then you've yeah. got the estranged wife of the king. Yeah. But I feel like Wrench and Numbers have this theory that Lester somehow worked with this this thing at the widow to kill him for the insurance money. Yeah. You know, but for some reason, Wrench seems dead set on not making another mistake. Sure. And not going and making sure that they get the confession that they're killing the right guy. Uh, and that's important to him in a way it's not important to numbers, and it leads to a big, giant rift in their relationship. Yeah, yeah. Unless uh, they've got the Joker bug, too, and they engineered the situation so they could get thrown into the drunk tank to get alone, to get alone with Lester. Oh, I think they definitely did that. I mean, after you really he ran away. You really think that was completely engineered? Yes. They saw the cop take him away. They sure. saw the, the car that he was being taken away, and right. they would know what precinct to go to or whatever. Right. I think certainly they're in that jail just to speak with Lester. But they also had some genuine bad blood between them that have between nothing each to other. do with Lester. Certainly, yeah. I think, I think their philosophies just differ. I think that's at least what I took away from the scene where they're arguing in sign language about whether or not to kill him or to find out whether he did it. And Mormons, they love it when you watch them eat. <laughs> apparently. I didn't know that about them. Uh, apparently, that's not true. No? I've, How do you know that? Well, I have a, I have a couple Mormon friends. You asked them? I, I, I have uh, relayed that information, and there was a lot of, what the fuck are you talking about? There was discussion <laughs> on Reddit. Okay. Uh, I don't think the Mormons care, like people staring at the meeting any more than anyone else does. Okay. I I wouldn't think so. I have no they reason to believe they would. They don't drink and they don't ingest caffeine, but they they really don't want you. They don't give a shit one way or another. Uh, speaking um, of the wrench and numbers scene uh, where they're questioning Lester, mm-hmm. uh, they're out on the ice and and Lester tases one of them. I thought it was really awesome and kind of wood chipper esque yeah. that. Uh, which one is it? Wrench couldn't hear him. Yes, couldn't hear numbers getting tased and screaming because he was using the ice drill. Well, and plus he's deaf. Good Good point. I'm sure I agree with your podcast work there, Jim. <laughs> um, I, you know what's funny? The irony of that is Lester could have completely finished this whole thing. 
Oh, yeah. He could have tased waited. him, drilled he, the ice, dumped yeah, him in. Yeah, he could have waited until the guy finished drilling the ice, tased him in the neck, dumped them both in a hole, sure. off scot-free. Yeah, Lester, I mean, despite murdering his wife, he still doesn't feel like a killer. At least, certainly not a cold, calculated one. Plus, Lester doesn't one. know that that guy's... Well, no, I guess he would have known he's deaf. But it seemed like he expected them to be following him, and he was kind of shocked that they weren't. Yeah, yeah. So, I guess, you know, we're thinking that fast. Why... What... What got into him that he thinks he's going to handle the situation himself rather than – because why wouldn't he just go to the cops, man? Uh, my only – The fact that there's someone out there trying hand. to kill him I feel like would somehow help exonerate him. Yeah. Like there's people Possibly. out trying to kill – and I have no idea who they are or what they want or – Maybe or maybe it just ties him closer and they start maybe. really questioning maybe him Maybe that's now. what he thinks. Yeah. Um, the other thing I love about Lester – is that his speech pattern, no matter what he's doing, never changes. I mean, mm. he calls up Lauren on the phone after murdering his wife. He's like, oh, geez, I, I did something bad. I, uh-huh. uh, and, and then when he's been kidnapped, he calls his brother, and he's like, the same exact speech pattern as he has every other moment of the day. I just love that. Really good. Uh, what else do you want to talk about? Anything else? Anything to mind there in the shades of green? I feel like Molly solved that mm. for us. It's a whole predator angle. Yeah. So, I mean, so Gus asks Lauren, how can you just lie like that? And obviously he gives him the riddle. Uh, Lauren is the predator here who I think uses the lies for camouflage so that he can't see the shade of green that Lauren is, right? Well, there was an interesting th- uh, theory on Reddit that's a little far-fetched. Okay. That has Lauren literally being like a satanic figure. Sure. And that that was a parable about how, you know, humans long ago adapted the ability to see green. Uh, We know in Satan's origin story, he became, you know, the father of the lie. Yeah. Literally, he introduced lying into the world. That's a little metaphysical for the show, right? Lauren is not, is not the devil or some, you know, even like arguably in raising Arizona, they've got the, whoever the guy was with the mama didn't love me tattoo. Uh, yeah. He was those almost are like just... a supernaturally avenging force. That Eric talked about last year. Exactly. But Lauren's not that kind of guy. Is he? I don't think he's the devil. He might be that unstoppable force. Okay. But is that, a, I... is that a parallel about Satan's ability to lie? Or is this just saying that I'm a predator and you're a prey? Uh, that's what I took out of it. Okay. I didn't take the exact parable or, or even him being like a it snake in the Garden of Eden or anything like, like that. felt like it just didn't somehow fit in that way because <laughs> that's a parable of how the prey became adept at spotting the predators, whereas he's trying to say that I'm a predator and you're the prey. Yeah, and he I, – I really got the camouflage vibe. Like, mm. yeah, yeah, you yeah. can see all the green, but you can't see me because I'm such a good liar. Okay. Like, I just have to be – Something that you can't see. It's like an evolutionary arms race or something. Yes, exactly. All right. Uh, that was one thing we mentioned. Uh, Molly waiting for Gus to show up out of uniform. Had her Kind of had her hair fixed up, maybe. Oh, okay. Is this furthering the shipping uh, of Gus and Molly? Or is this... Uh, are we supposed to make anything of that? I was trying to get a read on that scene, uh, specifically from that angle, when I was watching it. And I didn't pick up any acceleration of that at all it seems like it they they just were there to meet up as uh colleagues i guess uh d uh 
had um, DC, D. Cantlish. Uh, I hope she doesn't mind me using her last name because DC just sounds a little weird. <laughs> uh, long-time listener from Australia had an interesting theory on Facebook or some commentary that I wanted to read from last week. She says, I think Molly and Gus getting together was telegraphed from early on. Right from the first episode, there's been references to Molly's singledom and Gus's loneliness. Mm-hmm. It wasn't subtle. That said, as someone who generally loathes the will-they-won't-they-X-Filesification of pretty much every lead duo on TV these days, I was waiting eagerly for it to, to see it. I love to see sad, lonely people find happiness. However, I don't think Molly invited them for dinner. We talked about this last week. Because she was looking to make a move or wanting her dad to vet or scope him out first, Gus could have kept quiet about letting Lauren go. No one would have known. But he's a good guy, and he feels ashamed, so he admits the truth, even though it can be of no benefit to him. In fact, all it does is make him look bad. Molly is a serious, dedicated police officer, and she seems stunned at the idea he would follow, not follow correct procedure. Mm-hmm. But after seeing his shame and then meeting his daughter and finally realizing why he did it, she felt sorry for him. I think inviting him to dinner was just a way of showing kindness and letting him know that she didn't think badly of him and shouldn't feel badly for himself. Hmm. And since she's getting nothing but hindrance from her own fellow officer, Bill, she probably is also smart enough to realize that having another officer to bounce ideas and thoughts of can only help solve her case. If only you knew that Gus was an idiot. So she's feels like that she wants to see them together, but it also has this alternate interpretation that this was a way to diffuse some of the tension and make him feel better about himself. And I got no kind of romantic connection from them in this episode. Sure. Me either. It's uh, all business. Yep. I agree with that. I think D could be right here. Um, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. Like D said... They did start early with the you're lonely, uh, she's single. And the daughter casts you know, off that she thinks that she's pretty, the matching yeah. tablecloth. The stuff we've blo- talked about, you know. it seems like maybe they're pushing for that and maybe they just ease back on it this episode because they had so much other stuff to do. Uh, yeah. I, I still think it's headed that way. Okay. Uh well we've got nothing but uh, some feedback to discuss. Are we done talking about the episode? Sure. Just our own thoughts. Yeah, I think I've run through everything. Uh, I do have. Um, let's do some light pimping, and then I got some talking. There's another cone. This episode was titles based on another Zen cone. Okay. Uh, but first we have to do um, a little bit of pimping. Jim and I are podcasting under the BaldMove.com banner. And we're doing this on a full-time basis starting this year. We rely almost entirely on our, the generosity and support of our audience. And one of the ways you can and, – and you can find out all the ways you can support us by going to baldmove.com and clicking on the support icon. Several of them are free, completely free. doesn't cost you anything. Uh, one I want to talk about tonight is subbable.com. If you go to subbable.com, S-U-B-B-A-B-L-E.com slash baldmove. Uh, what it is is a voluntary subscription site. You can subscribe to our site, uh, and it doesn't cost you anything to do so, but you can also give us a one-time infusion of cash, a couple bucks here or there, or you can set that to happen over the course of uh, an entire year. You can set up as a monthly contribution. And you know you could do a buck or a couple bucks, whatever. The cool thing for you is not only are you supporting great content, but you can also save every dollar that you spend – you can save up to uh, get, uh, to cash in bigger and bigger reward values, and there's all kinds of stuff there. You can get our name, your name on the wall of fame on the baldmove.com site. Uh, you can get a backer certificate. You can get 
uh, all the way up to uh, earn earn phone calls with us where we'll actually call and just chat up about whatever. You can uh, commission custom podcasts. You can have me draw silly pictures. All kinds of things you can do uh, that you can save up for and redeem. It's We call it Kickstarter on Layaway. It's really cool. Uh, really excited about it and its ability to help us keep these podcasts free going forward. Subbable.com slash baldmove. And check out baldmove.com. Support uh, the support page for everything you can do to support us. Um, also, be sure to check out our affiliates. It's not just Jim and I here talking. We also have a bunch of people helping us out. Uh, for example, the Because Show, three ladies out of L.A., Gerilyn, Amy, and Susan, always talking about funny stuff, talking about relevant stuff, talking about their relationships. This week, uh, they review a book, Mad Woman in the Volvo, My Year of Raging Hormones. They t- recount a story where Susan dances late into the night and lives to tell about it. Gerilyn volunteers for a personal 30-day challenge, and they give a salute. They give a salute to Miss Dolly Parton. Hmm. Check it out; it's great. Uh, and check out all of our podcasts on BaldMove.com. Let's get back to Fargo, Jim. Okay, let's do it. Eating the blame. Here goes the cone. Circumstances arose one day which delayed preparation to dinner of a Soto Zen master, Fugai, and his followers. In his haste, the cook went to the garden with a curved knife and cut the tops of all the green vegetables, chopped them together, and made a soup, unaware that in his speed he had included part of a snake in with the vegetables. Mm. The followers of Fugai thought they had never tasted such a great soup, but when the master himself found the head of a snake in his bowl, he summoned the cook. What is this, he demanded, holding up the head of the snake. Oh, thank you, master, replied the cook, taking the morsel and eating it quickly. Hmm. What does it mean, Jim? <laughs> the head of a snake. Well, this brings me back to Lauren being the devil. <laughs> uh, it's also... So, eating it, the blame. He's basically covering up his mistake by pretending that it was not a mistake. Like a compliment. Like, like yes. that's the best part. Oh, you saved it for me because it's such a great soup? Thank yes. you. Kind of similar to where to to how Lorne handled the accusation. Hmm. Like he was accused of murdering three people, and he turned it into this whole thing about, oh, gee, Willie, this this uh, you know, uh, I was scared to death. This guy put the gun in my face, but you know, uh, blood bygones be bygones, and just folks just say way out of uh, prison. Sure, yeah, he definitely did that. Uh, it makes me wonder if. This is not something to do with Gus, although I think Gus has not eaten the blame. I think he's taken the blame uh, for his, you know, missing Lauren the first time around. Right. Um, is there any way that, that actually applies to Gus? Is Gus trying to cover anything up here? He definitely was a little hasty. As, as far as? Um like the his detective said, like you brought this guy in, you'd have me forensic. It's basically your word against his word. Sure, yeah. And he has an alibi, and your dash cam is broke. You know, I mean. So him arresting Lorne is him trying to eat the blame, but but in the end he can't because there's nothing there for him to eat. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like the 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 cone seems to be centered on the person who did the wrong being caught and then pivoting that into okay you know something like taking a disadvantage and turning to an advantage which makes me start some somewhat think that 
the theory that Lorne did this on purpose. Yeah, killing the dog, getting himself brought in. Is, is a way to uh, sideline Gus. The only, you know, he, he I don't know that he knows about Molly, but he knew Gus that that was a, you know. Uh, sure, he met Gus. He, he met knew Gus, it was a loose he knew end. his name, he knew it was a loose end. He yeah. might have find a way that they neutralize that. Hmm. Okay, I could buy that. All right. Anyway, I thought it was interesting, and uh, we started off very Jewish. Now we're getting Oriental in the yeah, influences. Yeah. Did you notice that the Jewish truck made another appearance? Oh, it did I miss the that. same scene where Gus dropped the coffee cup on the ground? Uh, that uh, uh, mazel tank or whatever they call it, <laughs> yeah, mitzvah tank. Mitzvah tank was in yeah. the background. Huh. Now it could be that that's like the corner store that he's because he we know he lives right next to the mitzvah, mitzvah tank. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So it could just be a different camera angle. You know that you know it's just down the street. He that's where he gets his coffee every morning. But yeah, yeah. Very prominent display of that. And of course, we now know that the the plague deal is a deliberate thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. The deliberate playing on this guy's religious yes. uh, fears. Uh, the other thing that I guess we haven't discussed is Lou's uh, coffee shop. Okay. It doesn't seem like there are any other coffee shops around. Like, if you're going to go get coffee and some shitty greasy food, you're going to lose in this town because it's really the only thing. Makes so sense, So I think man. every time we see people doing that, it's not like, oh, they've planned this elaborate hoax and lose. No, no, it's just that's literally the only thing you can do. If you go went to Mooresville in the eighties and nineties <laughs> and you wanted a fucking cup of coffee and breakfast, you go to Biff's. Sure. You flat out sure. went to Biff's. Uh if you wanted like a a home cooked style meal, you, you went go to, to Gray's. Gray's. <laughs> and like growing up in a small town, that makes perfect sense to me. Sure. Like if yeah. you stopped and went to a gas station and said, Hey, where can I everyone would say you go here or you go you know. Yeah, that's so really the only place to go. I again that you know, I guess if you're from New York or LA that might make <laughs> not make sense. But sure. if you're literally from a one stoplight town, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Okay, any feedback we want to get into? Yeah, I had two uh, emails. Uh, Mike from Illinois said, Hey guys, he's wanting to point out some uh Cohen references that we've missed. Cool. In Raising Arizona, there's a scene where uh, High goes back to prison and talks about familiar things. As he's going by a guy that's mopping, High says, you missed a spot. Ah. When Lauren Malvo is leaving the post office, as he's walking across the gym, there's a guy mopping, and Lauren said he missed a spot. That was yep. pretty cool. I wonder if they were going to try doing more of that. Um, there's actually... I need to do a better job of this, but someone's compiling all the references from Fargo. And, I assume and, so. And, and yeah. now it feels like some of these are homages and some of these are deliberate ties, which is kind of muddying the waters. Oh, muddying the road, would muddying you say? Muddying the road up a bit, getting <laughs> the smud on the kimono. Spencer from Kansas City said, this is my first time writing into a podcast. And let me skip ahead to the actual content. Uh, he said, <laughs> I have two main points about last night's episode. One, Lauren's alibi seemed very rehearsed, detailed, and rock solid. How did he accomplish this? There's no way he knew he was about to be arrested and he didn't get a chance to call anyone, so we know his alibi was set up and ready in advance. Yep. I'm thinking the Hitman Dispatching Service we saw in Episode 1 may have created a fake town. Every publicly listed phone number in the town's residence would go straight to the dispatching office, and whoever answers the phone merely looks up the script based on the fake name. Hmm, Frank Peterson? Oh, he's amazing. He was, if the alibi was for Tuesday, say bingo. If Wednesday, say Bible study group, etc. cetera. Uh, they could have had these scripts and towns ready to go for each of their agents. The town doesn't necessarily have to be fake either. Maybe they pay residents of small towns to list one of their phone numbers or not list them at all. 
Mm. Like, can you do that? Can you have an entire exchange just route to... It seems like there would be a lot of accomplices in that. Either if you're setting up a fake town with a bunch of people and paying them, um, or if you're setting up fake numbers that go to one central number. It seems like there's a lot of alibi, or a lot of uh, yeah. accomplices. Yeah, and again, I wish we... I wish we saw more of this happening and less of the kind of hand-waving and assuming what's going on. We definitely have to assume. I'm, because I'm gonna... the cost of something like that seems like it would be astronomical. Like, just fucking yeah. paid a $40,000 fee. Yeah. Like, I would think that Lauren's fee would be roughly that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it was in the movie, so uh, the Hitman's fees were somewhere around forty grand. Yeah. 44 or something. I would think it was like uh, the ransom, the, uh, the Nygaard, uh, the... Jerry said the ransom was like fifty grand, and they're going to split it. Okay, right, and then throw in the car to sweeten the plot, the pot. I think that's what yeah. it was anyway. Anyway, uh, my to- my other possible speculation on that, um, is that maybe this is someone that they've kidnapped or killed before, because if you call that town and you ask where is uh, Frank Peterson. Is he in that town right now? They could verify that he is not, in fact, Frank Peterson. But if he, if Frank Peterson has been kidnapped or killed by this organization... No fucking way would that not come up in a conversation with the police. What do you mean? Like, if he got kidnapped and killed and hasn't been seen for, like, weeks, and the cops call and say, hey, we're well, asking maybe, about... maybe it's fresh. I mean, we know that, you know, he calls frequently, apparently. Yeah, but a minister, new... man. I think a minister, yeah. like, daily they contact would, They would know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. At least once a week. Somebody is caring enough to talk to talk about at least uh, okay. once a week, if not once a day. It's all speculation. Who and knows again, I get. I wish. I wish there wasn't as much speculation. I would. I'm fascinated by the details. I think we'll get more. Like I really I'd like do. to see the gross point blank side of this, where you've got yeah. like you know the handlers and how they schedule and all that stuff. Um, he also had a question about uh, Lester's hand. Like, mm-hmm. uh, but I think we covered that well enough, and sure. I like. I'm 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 a huge fan of the psychosomatic theory. Yeah, I like it. If it's not, again, just with the way that nastiness is looking, it's got to be handled, or he's going to be minus one hand. Yep. Uh, looking forward to see how they resolve the drunk tank fiasco, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, where the plot takes us next. Are we in for frogs? Are we going to have a hail of fire? Where? Death of firstborn. It's, I mean, that's that's the one thing that's got the big target on his idiot son's head. Yep, is that that's one of the final plagues that breaks Pharaoh's back. So, when yeah, are they going to turn this... their canes into snakes? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want any motherfucking snakes. I'm a motherfucking Fargo. <laughs> uh, if uh, you would like to give us some feedback, you can do so at Fargo at baldmove.com. Of course, we've got the threads. Uh, not necessarily live threads, but where we all kind of share our thoughts about the episode on baldmove.com. I'm sorry, facebook.com slash baldmove. And Jim, you can tweet your thoughts on Twitter at baldmove. That's all we got for this week. All right. Sounds good. So until next time, I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. See you later.